This episode is brought to you by Bray Wealth Insights. As an entrepreneur, there are many things to know. Bray Wealth Insights is in the business of helping business owners gain clarity. Many owners do not understand the importance of the relationship between their business, their personal estate plan, and their workforce. Bray Wealth Insights helps entrepreneurs to build business continuation plans, recruit, retain, and reward key employees. And with cutting edge surveys and tools, they help owners to understand what their workforce values. For more information, you can contact Bray Wealth Insights at info at braywi.com. That's I-N-F-O at B-R-A-E-W-I.com. Now back to our regular scheduled programming. Hello, and welcome back to another episode of Leverage and Beverage, where we'll talk all things business building and beverages. My name is Greg Sobosinski, and today we on the show, we have Beauty by Biba, and we're going to get into some of the nitty gritty, both about you know what she's all about on the business side, um, and then also uh, what her favorite beverage is, which has been a, a curveball for us as, as opposed to the, the normal beverages we get. Um, but uh, Biba, how are you? I'm good. Thank you for having me. Um, so first off, what's what's on your mind? What's on my mind that the Bloody Mary mix or the Bloody Mary that you brought for me today is really good. And I will start ordering that. How does, how does it compare to, uh, to, to your Bloody Mary's? Just curious. I, well, I, I mean, I brought these little vodka airplane bottles and like two Bloody Mary mix options for us. I brought celery and, and a lime, keeping it simple, not doing too many garnishes, but you brought these already pre-made uh, spicy Bloody Marys in a can and they're delicious. So I'm very excited. That's what I'm thinking. I'm excited to be on this podcast with the great Bloody Mary and it's 1030. It's 1030. It's, uh, it's a good time for a Bloody Mary. This is kind of the prime time for a Bloody Mary, correct? Like uh, late morning, somewhere in that range. Um, but yeah, let's give it a quick chat. These are by uh, Cutwater. Um, I've never had these before. Um, but you know, I don't really drink Bloody Marys all too often, but they are Biba approved. Biba approved. And I am I do consider myself a Bloody Mary. <laughs> <laughs> so how often do you have Bloody Marys? Uh, you know, I'll have one on Sunday usually, my little day off. It's kind of my one day off that I really set aside for my family. But that's kind of my ritual. Sundays do a little Bloody Mary. And I was I was telling you that I the irony is this is my favorite drink, but I can't do uh more than one. Mm. One and done. And so this is this is part of your um your wellness package, correct? For yourself <laughs> yeah. is having having the Bloody Mary kind of relaxing on a Sunday, yeah. correct? Absolutely. Um, so let's kind of dive into to you, Biba. Um, let's kind of go into your background, um, how you kind of got into the business that you're in uh currently. Um, but let's start by talking about uh, Beauty by Biba um, and what that is. So Beauty by Biba was kind of created about six or seven years ago, and it was the culmination of my 20 years of skincare experience. I've been an esthetician for almost 20 years. I've worked in many spas. It is a 100% my passion and my life's work. Like I feel so grateful that I have found what I love to do, and that's working on women and men and doing amazing facials. I feel like I've curated this very unique, special facial that is 90 minutes. That's kind of unheard of in the industry. It's a longer facial, complete um, one. Always wanted my clients to feel like ev whenever I 
you know, completed their treatment, it was just, it kept getting better and it was the best facial they'd ever have. So yes, it's Beauty by Bebas, this beautiful luxury, fun atmosphere. Um, it, it started as my studio in Medford where it was just, it's just mm -hmm. a one room studio. And I started getting so booked out that, you know, over this past year, it's been a quite a long road to open up my second location, but I'm so grateful for it. But yes, we've opened a beautiful spa in Morristown. Uh, I know we'll be talking a lot about that today and, and, and how we got to that, but beautiful spa in Morristown. And I think it really stands apart from a lot of other facial and waxing spas. Uh, and I actually just went to Vegas hmm. and I'm so glad I got to go and see that Vegas, I hadn't been there in years mm -hmm. and I was so inspired by it. And I came home ha so happy that I had opened this because I feel like in a way my spa is a little Vegas. It's mm. so not over the top, but you walk in and it's very different from your typical spa. There's a lot of fun, funky art and it's beautiful. Mm. It's extremely high end. We, we really spared no expense in building this um, and trying to create a very, very unique and yeah. beautiful spa that stood apart. Yeah, it's it's and like that uh, luxury edgy kind of. Yes. Very... I didn't want it to be too serious. Yeah. There's like graffiti painted over a portrait of Marie Antoinette in a gilded frame. <laughs> kind of vibe. No, that's really yeah. cool. Um, So when you made this switch, you said been doing it for about 20 years. Um, what was, what was the unlock there? So what were you doing prior to that? Was that just sim similar work uh, in a, you know, a tangential industry or was it something completely different? Um, yeah, I had gone to school for theater actually. Really? I feel like it did kind of come in handy later. Yeah. My dramatic, you know, wanting to make my facials a dramatic experience and, and like theater almost and, and how you do it. But yeah, I was at NYU for a year. I was at Tisch and then I was found, realized I was too scared to be a starving artist in case I didn't make it big. And then mm -hmm. long story short, I transferred to Stockton actually and finished with a degree in communications and then just thought I wanted to be in PR. I thought mm -hmm. I, that glamorous PR life and events. Mm -hmm. And I remember moving to Philly and all I could get was like a account executive job selling you know, ad space for city paper. So here I am trying to go to accounts and even old accounts of theirs and drum them up. And I remember just sitting at third and market waiting for the bus one day and realizing, wait a minute, Biba, you love skincare. You love facials. I grew up with a mom. I grew up in LA and my mom always went to uh, get her facials in Beverly Hills every month. She was very into her skin. And I often tell this story, she was a flight attendant and she never flew international trips because she could tell her colleagues looked older flying mm. international back then. No it way. was all the jet lag and airplane air is horrendous for you. And mm. when you're up in the, you're dealing with all those environmental aggressors all the time and people could still smoke on the plane in the eighties. My mom was like, no. So I grew up with the mom, very conscientious about her skin and always said you could have all the wonderful clothes and shoes in the world, but if you don't have good skin, you know, so I grew, I grew up with that. So all of a sudden it hit me in my early twenties after college that I wanted to do skincare. So I ended up, and of course, when I, uh, went to school for it and, and got accepted into Braziri, the aesthetics program, I got a really plum PR job. So I mm. tried to, I handled both. And I, it was amazing that the firm let me leave early a couple days a week to go to part-time beauty school, but it worked out and I haven't looked back. 
Yeah, it's an interesting um, dynamic when you're on one path and it feels like, oh, I, I must be here because it's the right path for me. Then all of a sudden I know where it's like, wait, you know, you, you almost feel like you've been um, tricked or something into thinking that this is what you like. Does that make sense? Yes. And then you're like, wait a second, what do I, what do I actually like? And then you get it. Right. And, and you're like, oh, this is different. This is very different from what I thought I liked before. Happens all the time. And so, you know, the last 20 years, as you had asked, was my, was me working in different spas mm. and moving. I mean, I moved back to LA for a little bit. I got to work in some really beautiful, beautiful spas in Los Angeles. And then in New York, when I moved back here in Philly, I worked at a top spa in Philly. And I do feel very strongly that, you know, before you open your own business and before you consider yourself an expert in something, you have to have different experiences where you're learning and cultivating this craft. Mm. You shouldn't just stay in, a, in one place and learn all these techniques. I learned all these techniques from moving around and, and, and working at different spas. And I think it's made me a better esthetician. What, what insights has that given you into um, your industry in general, having been in LA, having been in Philadelphia, having been in New York, you know, what has that kind of showed you about the industry um, that might somehow enliven what you're doing here? Was it the kind of thing where you're like, hey, look at all these spas and do they tend to be kind of cookie cutter? Is that kind of why the way you're shaped is like, hey, I really want to cut into this in a different angle. You know what I mean? And kind of come at it differently because I've kind of seen this cookie cutter approach or, or am I off there? No, you're not off at all. I would say that working in different spas, you do get inspired about what kind of, um, what brands you want to carry, what mm. you like, what you don't like, um, what kind of vibe you want. You do get inspired wherever you go and seeing certain decor, um, you know, working, I worked at one of the top boutique hotels in Santa Monica. And I think it was there that I really learned the level of customer service that you have to have to stand apart. Mm. You know, the fresh water or the fresh fruit for water, the the ambiance, the candles, uh, certain smells, all of that really matters. All the little details matter. And just like me going to Vegas recently and being inspired by the uniqueness of, and these experiences have to be different for you to survive. Uh, there, there is a lot of competition. And then also seeing, you know, the different menus and the different services and how you want to tailor, uh, like, for instance, I worked at a place that was very, very popular for waxing. And I always wanted to tell, I always told these girls that to be less like nervous when they got waxed, you know, for like bikini waxes and stuff that they would go, should go and have a glass of wine beforehand, mm. like go have a little glass of wine at happy hour and then come in for your wax. Well, over the years, it made me so excited that one day when I opened my place, I would have alcohol mm. for you. Like, yeah. here you go. Here's your glass of champagne. Biba, It'll kind of Biba and beverage. That's what it is. Totally. So yeah, you, you hone all these things over the years and then you decide, you know, and seeing so many different facials on a menu at another spa I worked at up in North Jersey, realizing that, oh, if, if I, when I have my own space someday, I will not have these many facials because it just confuses people, mm. you know, just have a few really good customized facials that, that don't confuse people and don't like make people feel overwhelmed. Yeah. So yeah, there, there was, yeah, it's like the paradox of choice kind of thing. There, there was a, uh, I think a study that I don't know if they did at Trader Joe's or where they did it, but I read about it and they had like, you know, five different types of jam out and people would go up and, and, and pick one and, and they would buy it. But the, the conversion was far less mm when they had 25 jams out because people couldn't decide which one they should try, which one they should buy. They were like kind of just threw their arms up or like, okay, that's too many choices. 
So I, I completely concur with what you're saying, you know, and it, it probably enhances the client decision is or decision making process as well. They're like, they don't want to feel like leaving. They made the wrong decision on something. You know what I mean? And having less options makes it seem very bespoke. Mm. Uh, if you go to a very high end boutique, you'll kind of notice there actually isn't that many things. There aren't that many things on the rack. And then you think about like a lower, uh, pri lower price model of something like a Kmart, let's say, sorry, Kmart, but like a million things just, you know, clothes mm. just punched up and on the floor. It's like, almost seems not as yeah high end. It, it's kind of like restaurants too. You know, you go to like a diner and it's like, they have everything and you go to like a high end restaurant. It's like, they, they're kind of telling you what you're having. <laughs> you, know, you know what I mean? Yes. Um, very cool. So let's kind of, uh, work through that 20 years now. So you, you kind of went to the school, bounced around to all these different salons across the country. Um, and now you, you were here in, in Medford and this is kind of where beauty by Biba began as far as your, your own salon. So you were doing these in, in your home. Is that correct? Yes. Initially? Yes. We first moved to Medford lakes in 2015. It was always a, an area that I wanted to live. I, I, I loved living in the city, but I did tell my husband, like if, we live in Jersey. Uh, I definitely want to live in a very unique town. So Medford Lakes, <clears throat> I had known about for years. So we moved into this uh, three bedroom little log cabin where we still are. And I started doing facials out of one of the rooms. And that was so illegal. <laughs> like <laughs> State Board of New Jersey, cosmetology of New Jersey would not look uh, uh, very uh, happily on that. But that's how sometimes these things have to start. If yeah. you are, if you don't have the clientele yet to be able to afford a big space, it yeah. takes time. So I had just joined the women's club in Medford Lakes. And, you know, I had a little, my, my, my Ari was very young. And I think when your kids are young, <clears throat> it's a lot easier for you to join mom's groups and, mm. and meet a lot of people. And so it happened very organically. I would do these facials out of my home. And it started very slowly. I posted on Facebook that I was doing this. And then I had my second child. And it became impossible to not become out of my mind about keeping my house clean for guests when they would come through clients. Because I would be so nervous and paranoid that if a client came into the house and it was messy or something wasn't perfect for them to walk through to that treatment room, I would have been so embarrassed. Mm -hmm. because it was all about this image that you're projecting and this cleanliness yeah. and this beauty your brand yeah yeah and so and i i do, I do laugh because i do have a couple clients still that say they miss the log cabin days <laughs> like really <laughs> so it was around that time my second son was born and i think when you have two children that really is the game changer where parenthood it gets a little let's say it's a lot and i my husband and i would be giving these amazing facials for like $60. Cause I didn't, you know, you can't command that high of a price point when it's in your home or you almost feel like mm. you can't. And I remember it not being worth it. Um, with the daycare, you've always heard about that age old. Is it worth it to like be working and having your, your kids in daycare? Right. Is it even paying for it? And I think Sean kind of had a come to Jesus with me moment. And he's like, listen, if you're going to do this, you've got to, you, you, you got to do this. You got to start branching out and I'll back up just a little not only was I doing facials out of my cabin and, and building up a, a book that way, I was also working at Blue Mercury in Marlton, mm. which was a uh, boutique makeup and skincare store mm -hmm. that had a little spa in the back. 
they did no marketing for this spa. People would have no idea there was a spa back there. But, and I, there, so there wasn't really nobody. They had no clientele. They had a lot of uh, patrons that would come and buy makeup and skincare from the store, but they had this empty spa with no book in the back. So I was trying to build that up. I would offer, you know, $50 facials and I would, you know, try to work, you know, do minis on a lot of the guests and, and try to do it that way. Um, and I also worked at Borgata part-time mm. um, and that was tough because that was, I was behind 13 other estheticians because I was, you know, new. I had just applied and, and gotten hired. They loved my resume, but I was behind, I was the most junior and they had me on call every weekend Whoa. with two kids and like, yeah. Two, yeah. So, and then on top of that, I was also working at a dermatologist office part-time. So I had all these little jobs that were really, I was just trying to build books in all the space, all the places. I left Borgata, it became too much and too much of a drive, but I had these other three avenues up here where I was amassing a clientele. And then finally, uh, when Max was born and I had that conversation with my husband and I started to, I started to realize, yeah, I need to make the jump. Yeah. What, what was that like? Cause I think this is, that's like a big, that's a big step and it probably is the biggest step like for any person is to be, okay, I'm, I'm doing this. And it's like, there has to be either some capital infusion or something to kind of get to that next level. But because of that change, it tends to be a, you know, it's a little, little weighty, let's say. Um, so kind of describe what that is. You come to this realization and you're like, this has to happen, but you know, mentally you're like, okay, how am I going to make this happen? Well, so what's so funny is you just mentioned like the capital that has to get involved. That's part two. That's mm -hmm. the second location. And we'll get into that. Well, it's so crazy as that this first location was not anything mm. to the extent <clears throat> that this second evolution was. This little jump to rent a one-room studio here on Main Street was really all it was. And honestly, to look back and see how scared I was about paying that small amount of rent, it is laughable. <laughs> it is so laughable yeah. that I was worried about paying for a space that literally I started making that rent in a day or two, in a day or two. And I was so scared. And then of course, again, the involvement later that became very real, but I noticed a for rent sign here on main street. And I was definitely kind of looking around and, and had my eyes and ears out at that point. And to build, to, to suddenly have a room, I already had everything. There were a few things that I bought that were like big ticket items. You know, there was an oxygen machine that I ended up buying um, that was like, you know, $3,500. Like, oh my God, that was a huge deal. But most of the things I have always been really into like recycling things and reusing things and like being a little budget conscious. Um, so it worked. I had beautiful sheets from my mom that I, so I didn't have to buy new spa sheets or, and again, it was one room and just me. So you're not having to buy things so much in multiple that it becomes, you know, I already had the towel cabbie. I already had the wax pots and the wax cart. Mm -hmm. And I already had all this wonderful vintage decor and, you know, this velvet couch that I had bought that my husband hated that was in our cabin that finally had a home, Yeah, you know? So finally this one room studio, seems like a win-win. <laughs> oh, it's great. So all these things I just had, I already had this beautiful antique desk to put in as my little office desk. I had everything. And I had all these beautiful, I think I maybe had just been waiting all of these years to have this space. So it's like I had the decor 
and I put down that, you know, deposit for that lease and, you know, bought a few extra things, but I was pretty much ready to go from kind of having my treatment room. Um, and then little things, but yeah, it, it, it seems now that it was just a very organic thing and you, you can't overthink it and you just have to do it. It's almost like you, you, you build innately this, this tolerance to it. And we'll kind of, I guess, see that once you kind of transition to the second location, but you, you, you realize, okay, your mind becomes much sharper as, okay, what's feasible and what isn't initially you're like, oh my gosh. But now it's like, I am covering everything. Things are, are moving along and looking back. It's like, what was that? It wasn't even anything. This is the baby step. And also software, you know, you're at first, you're just booking these clients and have it in your calendar. Right. And then all of a sudden it's like, whoa, I think I need to get like a software mm-hmm. and I actually have to allow people to book online. So therein was the little bit of the website development yeah. stage one where it still looks yeah. a little bad, <laughs> but it's, you know, it's, it's getting there improving. and you know, you get the free software and, and you, you slowly do. And, and, and that's when it just started to happen. And I wasn't under so much financial stress that I don't think there was this nervous energy. It was just like, oh my God, I'm here and I can do this. Mm. I think clients really loved that. And the word of mouth really spread quickly. Um, so what, how would you describe, you know, working for some of these other spas and say, let's take you back to, you know, your first few months here. And what's what was the biggest differential you would say just in, you know, how you conducted things, um, maybe a, a different sense of ownership about what you were doing, but what was like the the prime difference that you saw between you know working in a different spa that that wasn't yours necessarily versus having your own? That's a good question. I think I was just so happy to have these services done on my terms, where I could take all the time I needed. Mm-hmm. The problem with a lot of spas is these estheticians, and they there are so many talented estheticians out there, but they might be kind of cornered into a certain time frame that they have to conduct these facials. So even mm-hmm. if they do love doing extractions and they want to get out every pore, um, they can't, and they can't do a good quality facial because they are stuck in this time that has been designated by their, their company they work for. Most facials are 50 to 60 minutes tops. And most of them also are not even the full hour. They're only 50 minutes because they have to allot that 10 minutes to getting undressed, checking them out. So they're losing even more time. So I do remember feeling like, oh my God, I need these treatments to be the time I want to, you know, right. but that, I think that to me was the biggest thing. And then of course it was all mine. Mm. It was all mine. I could serve the alcohol. I could, or, you know, and I'm not, I don't think I was getting clients like totally drunk. I was, you know, I was like, oh, you know, one yeah, glass of deal, yeah. but you know, I could sit with these clients before a facial. And I could have up to 30 minutes with them of consult time. And my clients had never felt like they had this level of service before, where I'm sitting with them like a skincare therapist. And it's, I laugh that that's kind of what I am now. I'm a skin therapist. I'm going to talk to new clients when we have our initial meeting about what they're using at home and really help them understand these ingredients they need to be looking for and, and really break it down. And I think a lot of other places, these estheticians just don't have the time. Mm. What was the, what's been the client response to that? You know, um, I'm sure it was probably like a night and day thing. Like you mentioned, you, you have these clients come in and they're like, no one's ever like taken time to ask me about some of this stuff before. So what was that initial client response like? And you're like, oh, wait, maybe we're onto something here. 
my joy in life, seriously, is that feeling when I finish a client and they look at me and they're like, holy shit, it was the best facial I've ever had. Mm. And like, they are almost speechless. And then to hear that they would text me that friends were commenting on their skin. I I have no idea what that does for me Mm. and how happy it makes me. That's what, you know, it gives me life. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, and then that's what garners this word of mouth that builds your business for you. You know, when I started out, I didn't have to spend three to $5,000 a month on ad spend. I wasn't worried about that. I just was going day to day and doing this so small that it word of mouth was the best thing in the world because it, it was cheap and free and yeah, they started coming. Very cool. So let's, let's talk about that. Let's dive into that, that growth aspect. So, um, no, you're here. You're you're here for say. I think you you were you've been here for five, five years, correct? Yeah, 20, 2018. Okay. Um, and so during that time, I'm sure there was tons of changes to the point where where we're at kind of today, where second locations open now, correct? Yeah. Um, and we had we had been chatting, I guess, for almost uh <laughs> not nine months now, as far as trying to get you on the books, but you know things were things were backed up on your end. So I I 100 get it. I have um, so much more to talk about, but it was finally done. Um, so walk us through that. So I want to hear about some of that scaling process. Um, you know, how you got to the point where you're like, okay, um, there's some overflow here and I might have some clients that are a little bit further away and maybe even up to prepping and finding a location. So talk about that and why that was the next logical step. So about two years ago, Uh, the first phase of this involvement happened where my husband, who is an entrepreneur, and I I can't even begin to tell you how much I've learned from him in this past year and how much more respect I have for him um, as a business owner and his struggles and the roller coaster that is running your own thing. But uh, about two years ago, I, I was getting to the point where I couldn't say no to clients that were just not able to get in with me and I would be so booked out and I was burning myself out and my husband could see, I, you know, and I just never saw my family. And he was like, you know, you need, you need to start thinking about working smarter and, and hiring somebody, you know, to work on days so you can have off. And I, I was taking like Sundays off and, and a Wednesday, but you know, he was saying, get somebody in to work and help you, you work better. And so I ended up, it, it happened really amazingly. I have a good friend who has her aesthetics license for almost as long as I have, which is pretty unheard of. Um, And we had worked together at Blue Mercury and she had been not an esthetician at that time, but she was selling skincare and we stayed in touch. She was looking for a job. It was right after COVID. Mm. And a lot of those skincare lines had dropped their freelancers. So she was looking for something and the light bulb went off for me. Like, oh my God, Deepa, like talk to Stephanie. She She could work for you. And that's exactly what happened. I hired her as a 1099 and as a subcontractor. And, you know, we trained for a little bit and she came on board to work those other days that I, I could have off. And it was amazing. She kind of helped me start working smarter and she started to build her book. And I think I remember being so scared, like, will this work out? You know, is it smart to mix friendship and business? And, you know, will she be good? Will she, you know, be the person that my clients, you know, trust to go to? So I think I had been scared about hiring someone else. You, 
just to make sure that person would be loyal and, oh my gosh, what if they leave and they, you just get really scared. But the fact that Stephanie had been a friend, was a friend Mm. that it made that next step that much easier. And I don't know if I could have made that step at that point, if she hadn't been a friend or someone I knew. So what happened was last year, Stephanie had come to me. She was starting to get booked out too. I mean, we were, I was starting to get booked out every, like for six months. And she came to me about expanding. She was the one that said, Biba, I think we should think about expanding. You know, I think she wanted different hours and she didn't want to work on Sundays anymore, you know, and she wanted to, to move forward. And I told her, I said, I am a hundred percent open to that, but I am so busy. I have no time to even breathe. I said, if you want to start looking at, at places, I'm, I'm definitely open to it, but I thought I would give that to her as, you know, a, a task, like to help if she wanted to, to do it. And I'll never forget, I was in LA for my dad's uh, surprise 70th. And she texted me pictures of a place that she had already uh, gone and, and, you know, made plans to see. And the funny thing is, with where I'm located now and where my client base is, I had never once thought Morristown. I hadn't spent that much time in Morristown ever. And I didn't know a lot about it. I knew it was a beautiful town, you know, very Haddonfield. Um, and Stephanie loves Morristown. I think she has a huge friend group there. She's part of Laurel Springs Country Club. So she has more of a hand in Morristown. And the whole time when she brought this up, I was actually thinking expanding into Marlton or Cherry Hill or Philly. A lot of my client base is out that way. Mm. And I even have a lot, I have Philly clients that I thought, oh, you know, maybe Cherry Hill or Marlton will be more, uh, more um, convenient for them. But when she brought up Morristown, I was like, Morristown? I didn't even think I had uh, any clientele in that area. She showed me these, this video and I said, okay, when I'm back, I'll definitely come check it out. She had two locations for me to look at. <clears throat> the space we picked was the first one I saw and the video she sent me. And when I walked into this space, I knew, I knew that I could see it. I could see my business being there. And I fell in love with it, the high ceilings and it had this beautiful courtyard and this huge parking lot. So there, it would be very convenient for my clients. But the first thing that we had to do was I did send out a survey to my clients. I think it's always good to keep your clients, uh, you know, in the loop of what you're doing and ask them questions and keep them involved mm-hmm. and make sure they feel like they are a huge part of why you do what you do. So I did ask, I sent a survey that said, if I were to expand my business into Morristown, would you A, be willing to drive there? B, not be willing, or C, prefer to to go there. Mm -hmm. What's so interesting is I think out of my 700 or 600 clients that I had, I got a pretty good response. 60% said they'd be willing to drive to Morristown. 20% said they wouldn't. And I I didn't, I didn't even check to see, I don't even know if I could see who, who replied to that, but I was assuming it was more my tabernacle, shemong, mm. you know, people that really, you know, maybe they just got eyebrows done and they wouldn't be willing to go right. all the way. But what's so interesting is, and, and even, and 20% said they would prefer. Mm. So I thought, oh, I have Mount Laurel clients. I have, and what's funny is uh, I have Northeast Philly clients that are so excited about Morristown. It's closer. Yeah. It's 25 minutes for them. Yeah. So I think, you know, doing that survey really helped me make the decision. Um, and, and then, and then the drama started. 
Yeah, let, let's... So you want to start a business. <laughs> yeah, let's pause there for a second on, on the asking for feedback. I mean, that's like, it's one of those things that I think people, um, you know, it's like, oh, what direction should I take my business? And it's like, well, how would I just ask the people who I'm providing my service to? You know, they'll give you a lot of feedback sometimes. Sean thought of that. Yeah. Sean told me to do that. Yeah, excellent. Excellent idea. <laughs> and it's one of those things where I think people try to, hey, I have this idea. I'm going to force it as opposed to looking for what's the client need. If you want this and prefer this location and it's going to enhance your experience, okay, now it makes sense. But if it was like, if, if everyone responded that they didn't want to go there and you're like, no, this is it. And you did there anyway, not saying it wouldn't be successful still, but you know, you're kind of, you want to listen to whoever is the partaker in, in your services. Um, the and, other, the other, the other interesting thing was, you know, you have to do your research and you have to look at the geographics of where you're trying. And, and of course, that's a huge thing with big businesses and brands. They are looking at that demographic and that had to be looked at as well. And I found out there was no facial place in downtown Morristown. Mm. You had most of the thing, you had a couple spas in the Morristown Mall area and you did have the big mama Raziri, mm -hmm. which isn't the Morristown Mall. But to look at that gorgeous downtown area of Morristown and to find out there was no facial place that was like oh oh my god well, i i can fill a need here mm. this this is an incredible opportunity um so let's talk about where the real fun begins so you decide to move forward you have this location you're like this is it we're gonna this is gonna be our second location and um and that rent was a, a little more <laughs> just, a, just a smidge more so now we're talking now we're having the capital conversation yeah now we're <laughs> well, the, the first part of it started with, um, you know, when you don't have a business degree, like I, I, I don't, and I, I do facials. I'm an expert at facials. I'm not an expert at my numbers. Um, I'm not an expert at building a business, uh, or a brand or marketing or, uh, getting something built and handling all the aspects of that. So, then came the phase of needing to hire a business consultant for this. And um, that was a ginormous expense. And it was an expense that taught me a lot of lessons um, with the, you know, how to negotiate. Uh, it wasn't really negotiated. Um, I, I think I just came with this idea that I knew consultants are very expensive that you don't have them for very long, that they are on a small project with you or a short project. So that's why they amass the fees that they, they charge. And, uh, you know, one of my first mistakes with this that I would tell anybody is really make sure to do your research and really understand that it's important to go with a business consultant that understands you're a small business and, you know, not to accept, you know, being charged, you know, five figures, which is almost what you're making in a month you know, paying mm -hmm. a consultant to, you know, work part-time for you. And, you know, so I would, I would say one of my first mistakes was not to negotiate enough or really look at truly what I needed for someone to, to handle helping me open this because it did become very apparent that I couldn't do this. I was working in the treatment room all the time. Mm -hmm. I, I was working 80 hours a week on clients. That's very hard to get another business built when you're not able to handle the day-to-day, -day, um, issues of negotiating a lease and hiring an architect and a contractor because I had the space, but it was an open concept space as it, as I leased it. And one of the first things that I learned was in negotiating a lease, we were trying to have the landlord who who's wonderful, by the way, 
but you know, he's a businessman and we were trying to negotiate not having to pay rent until it was fitted out and, you know, asking him for his help in that. And it turned out that I, you know, we almost lost it because uh, a more desirable client came in as a potential leaser who didn't have to do any work to it and mm-hmm. would have leased it right away. So as I was trying to negotiate them, allowing me to get it fitted out, all of a sudden they realized it was a very desirable space. So I ended up having to take it as is and pay for the rent as it was being done. Mm-hmm. So that was kind of the first uh, hurdle and you know obstacle challenge, I would you know call it. And, but I got it and it was mine. And sometimes you have to make those really hard, scary decisions and you, and then it really was that step up from something like this, where you just lease this cute little room and Mm. you don't do much to it. And you throw some rugs down and throw some pictures up, but this, this was the real deal, you know, and then hiring a contractor who, uh, just, there was a lot of miscommunication, um, and, you know, allowing my business consultant to um, uh, handle all the communications and, you know, a lot of balls dropped. There's just a lot of things that go with contractors and architects, township paperwork, zoning, permitting, you know, these permits that would get sent to Morristown and they would send them back because they weren't done right, you know, and then finding out that the architect was not a New Jersey licensed architect because this contractor was actually located in PA. And they did work in Morristown and we hired them because they, we thought they did have a big, uh, big uh, hand in Morristown, but it, you know, turns out it just wasn't the right fit. So we actually had to switch contractors uh, in the middle of it. And uh, it was unfortunate, but definitely a lot of lessons learned. And just, that was probably the biggest headache of them all. Um, In addition to, you know, people that you, give a lot of your very private financial information to you trust. And I think I trusted too much and Mm. I got burned a little bit, you know, giving information to somebody that I trusted that would help me. Um, And, you know, people, again, people can be very talented, but you have to be really careful and you have to be more involved. I think because things you're not good at, you tend to think, oh, I'll pay someone to do all this for me. But in the end, you've got to l- sometimes learn to do these things that yourself and, you know, certain information that it probably wouldn't be good to give up to someone that you don't quite know and trust. Mm-hmm. I would think twice about that. So what ended up happening is this project was, we, you know, we were slated to open in November. That's what we were hoping for this lasted, this project lasted seven more months. And so you are in this crazy space where you're paying a consultant so much money every month, and it's just getting more and more um, (laughs) extended. And you're starting to realize that you don't quite trust, you know, this person. And then you're in a very scary situation where do you part ways immediately when or do you, you have to kind of play the chess game? Or do you see it through? You see it through. And you just really shut off certain things to protect yourself. And you, you, yeah, it, it's, it was, it was really, really scary. And there were a lot of things 
where so many things were coming at me every day. So many like things I was finding out about dishonest charges on, you know, business card. And, and you're just like, how is this happening to me? And also hiring the girls that I was hiring for this new team, training them the time that it takes to train people and to get them excited about this and, and suddenly realize you're a boss and you're a leader and Mm -hmm. you can't look scared and you have to believe in this and you have to stay positive. That's when I really started to learn about the importance of staying positive and not faking it till you make it, but really understanding that you just strapped yourself to this ride and you've got to see it through. Yeah. There's been things that I've come across in, you know, business day to day and people's initial, if you haven't encountered stuff like this before, the initial um, reaction is to almost overreact. It's like, it's a fire. I got to put it out. I got to put it out. But it's like, you know, let's see. And sometimes if you let those things simmer a bit, not like forever, but they tend to be, oh, wait, maybe there's a better out this way. You know what I mean? They kind of present themselves. So it's almost like this, it's like this map in front of you that's kind of like constantly filling in the blanks and emerging. And you're like, okay, what path makes the most sense? And um, it's a really a dynamic thing. And people think it's like, so here's a business plan and I got to stick to, it's going to go exactly like this. When more it's like there, no, there's going to be a lot of room for adjustment and pivoting and this stuff. But like, I mean, in your situation where, you know, the biggest thing is uh, I've always learned is overhead. You want to keep overhead as low as possible so that even when, if things aren't going as well as possible, you you don't, okay, I know I'm still, no, I'm still good. And it's like, I I guess that's where a lot of like the stress in business comes from is when I, you see just surmounting overhead expenses. So now you have this lease, you have this consultant, you have X, Y, and Z, you're hiring new employees. And it's like, whoa, we just ballooned from me and my other location by myself with very manageable overhead, almost like a very lateral move from my log cabin spa to this, where it's like, how do I, how do I tackle this? And how long is this going to last? <laughs> yeah. And going back to your point, you have to, as an owner and has a, as a, as a business owner, you have to know how important it is to walk away and think about a very, very tricky situation. You cannot react right then and there. You have to be able to walk away, stay calm, and and really go over your options and what you want your end result to be. You have to take the emotion out of it. That was very hard for me and something I really am learning from my husband. You have to take the emotion out of a lot of business decisions. And and sometimes in the heat of the moment, you have to walk away and really think about it. Do you, do you think there are business owners that get so wrapped up either in the heat of the moment or almost like um, escapism where they try to just completely just forget about their current problem? I feel like a, one of the best ways to handle some of this stuff is just to either set aside time just to specifically think and see what is the best way to handle this. Most often when I see a, there's a problem in a business, it either gets shoved to the side, we don't want to deal with it, or it's like a, a knee-jerk reaction. Oh, something has to happen right now, and this is what's going to be the best thing for business. When in, in actuality, and and as a business owner, it's hard because there's so many pieces floating in your head all the time. It's really hard to get clarity on an issue that's a larger issue that's just kind of taking residence in, in your mental space. So is, was that part of the journey for me? I know that that for me has been part of 
Um, the thing is just taking some space and think, how can I solve this particular thing and giving it time? Like just sit there and think as, as simple as that sounds with distractions, how they are right now. I feel like that avenue of, of getting to a solution isn't really taken that often by business owners. Does that make sense? A hundred percent. A hundred percent. And I, you have to, my husband also got into meditation a couple of years ago and it's helped him so much with his, he's, he has anxiety and you'd never know, but he's been, meditation is huge. So I've actually started to meditate in the morning and, and that, that has definitely been a help, but it really is all about knowing also that everything's going to be okay. Mm. It's all going to be okay. It always is. I think in our lives, if we really think about it, everything in our lives has always ended up turning out okay. And how important it is to practice positive self-talk. Mm-hmm. I've always been a positive person, but I found myself going into very negative holes, very negative uh, self-talk, thinking about the worst possible scenario. I, I feel like doing this project, I have never known what true anxiety is until now. And this is, and I'm so grateful that I am in a crazy world, but it is a world where we are starting to get back into taking time out for ourselves. I almost Mm -hmm. hate the word self-care, but I think self-care is kind of a a trend right now. But also I think people are, are really kind of getting more into meditation and knowing when it, when you have to take a step back and take care of yourself. It's very true, but the staying positive and positive self-talk I can't tell you how important that is. I don't think people understand how tightly wound people in society are nowadays. Like I think about sometimes when I look at my own goals, like either for a day or a week or whatever, and it seems like this is almost near impossible. Why am I holding myself to this standard of trying to get this done? And I'm like, if I have two good meetings and they're, fruitful and I'm able to, you know, fill in some of the blanks on, you know, other projects that are outstanding. That's a good day. But I think sometimes it's like this incessant need to constantly be doing, doing, doing that you don't even understand how, you know, you you kind of slowly morph into like this person that's obsessing over just getting things done. You have no idea. <laughs> Your mind makes problems to solve them. Right. That is what the human mind does. And it's unbelievable to really be able to, at some point in your life, like I have to step back and realize that, mm-hmm. that that's what my mind's doing, and the, the ego. and But our mind creates problems to solve them all the time. And it's a hamster wheel. And if you don't try to get off and, and just also have this knowing that it's all going to be okay and you're going to be okay, it can really consume you if you're not careful. Yeah, it's almost like the business owners. It's like you now, because you've stepped away from the corporate world or or having an, an employer, and now you yourself are that being. It's like uh, that accountability is on you now, and so it's almost like all your decisions and everything come back on you in a way that's much more personal than it was otherwise. It's like if you were like, oh hey, made a mistake, someone my coworker did this. Okay, that's kind of on me, but not really. I'll chalk it up to you know you know, poor management or whatever. But in this situation, you like, you're like, you innately know whether you think it consciously or not, that it comes back on you to some degree. And you're like, am I accomplishing what I'm supposed to do today? And for me, that's why even things like working out and making my bed have become so important just because, okay, 
regardless of what happens today, I've done these two things. And it gives you some sense of like grounding as far as this ever growing um, sense of what I have to accomplish in a day. It seems to just be growing. I have to do more and more and more and more and more. And so more recently for me, at least, it's more like I have to kind of understand what is what is doable, being able to do that. And then don't get too wrapped up in um, chasing these these goals, which are unattainable. And also realizing that, you know, time off or taking some space and going back to what we said before about thinking, that's sometimes more productive. It gives you those, uh, you know, three steps forward when you were one step back. Um, but I think it, some of these things are things you only learn by going through them. It's, it's hard to explain sometimes to the people who haven't been through it, what you're talking about, but. Uh, yeah, and, and time management, like you said, what is, what has to be done now? What mm, can wait? Mm. That's another thing I'm still working on. Cause I, I am slightly, I guess, OCD because of this business and making sure things are pretty and prim and proper and, proper and organized and clean. And, uh, I think I am someone who wants to see my inbox at zero and, you know, also I'm, I'm, an, I'm an artist. I I'm in the treatment room. I was never someone that was like all into email and on top of my email and now I, I have I, to be, I hate email, quite frankly, I do. It's just, it, it's just like, uh, I don't know. I, I think it's uh there's a really good book. I'll, I'll give it to you after, after the show. It's um by uh, Cal Newport. He does a lot of stuff about deep work and really trying to set aside time blocks to get things done. So more of some of this thinking stuff we're talking about. But he has a book called The World Without Email. And so as much as I can offload some of these things um, as far as scheduling or whatever it is that I can do not on email, that'll give you much more mental clarity to kind of figure other things out. But yeah. Um, the four hour work week. I think Tim Ferriss, oh, Tim Ferriss. Did, that's a great book about time management and how he only checks his email three times. Yes. But I, I'm the kind of person that if there's like, if I have 12 emails that I have to get back to, it'll just like, Oh my God, I have, all, it's like, <laughs> you're okay. Yeah. Take a breath. Yeah. What needs to be done right now? What can wait? You know, it, it's all about learning. And I think sometimes we, we expect people in the client service business, they expect, Oh, they, they set expectations of what they think their client expects. My client expects me to get back to this email like immediately. When re in reality, they're probably a, a little more lenient. Like you don't, don't have to get it right now. It can wait till tomorrow or the next day even. Um, but uh, the, I, the paradox of being a business owner like me is when you're type A and you're really passionate about what you do, everything has to be perfect. Mm. And you do expect a lot in, in yourself and your business, and you're expecting a lot from your team and you have to cut yourself some slack and give yourself the grace. If, if emails aren't like within a, a, yeah, it's, I have to learn to relax a little bit and understand that my energy and what I'm trying to get my team to do and understand there's a cohesiveness and, and it's going to get done. This is a process. Rome wasn't built in a day. Mm -hmm. So let's talk about your, you know, the multiple hats you wear as a, as a business owner. So you're on the family side, you know, you have mother, you have wife, you have, um, you know, you are the business owner, but you also still are um, doing procedures and, and doing those meetings. Um, and but you're also managing, you have employees. Um, what of those has, um, I guess, stuck out to you as being, um, the strong suits on the business side where you're like, I really enjoy doing this piece, 
but I've realized I need to bring on help in some of these other areas or even the whole dichotomy of those different hats. How do you kind of balance those? That's a really good question. Uh, first and foremost, I am an esthetician and that's where I, that is where, what my passion is. So I can't ever lose sight of that and what I, and what I do and what makes me happy. I mean, my work like feeds me my work. Like I'll, if I'm ever in a bad mood, if I work on a full day and I see my clients who it's almost like this incredible friendship and relationship with so many of my clients that I almost feel just filled like at the end of the day. Um, but what I've learned in becoming a business owner is you do have to hire the right people and you do have to hire the right people that you trust to do the things that you know you're not good at. So I was really lucky, you know, halfway through this project while we were hiring the estheticians, I was so lucky to be not reintroduced, but I was able to get reconnected with one of my office managers that I had worked with at my dermatology practice uh, where I worked part-time. She had been the office manager there for 20 years. She had ran that practice and she had retired, but she still came to me for facials. And it hit me one day as I was hiring my front desk staff and I wasn't, I'd never really, I didn't know what to look for. I didn't know really how to hire that team. I knew how to hire an esthetician. I knew what questions to ask. And that is my, my wheelhouse, but not front desk, not management. So I was giving Donna a facial and, and I, it, it just hit me like, wait, Donna, can you, can you? come to some of these interviews, some of these girls and tell me who you think would be good. She, she was all about it. And so as she started, she went, she came to a few of these interviews and suddenly it was like, wait, Donna, can you, can you work for me? Can you be my office manager? Can we work? She was, she was ecstatic. She didn't want to come back to, you know, the working world full time, but she, we, it's been perfect. She works part-time for me. She's helped me. She does my human resources. She does my payroll mm -hmm. and she's not my bookkeeper. I think she really appreciates that because <laughs> she had really run a dermatology practice and done a lot, but it's, it's actually really funny. Even though she's just part-time for me, it is a lot of work that she's realizing there's a lot that needs to be done, but she's kind of the spa mom in, and kind of the back end stuff where I'll have her, um, you know, deal with ordering and inventory. And these are the day-to-day -day things that I used to be able to handle in a one-room studio, just me. And I can't handle it anymore. I have a staff of 10 now. And, and that's another big change is I went from a one 1099 to a staff of 10 W2 employees. That wow. is a whole nother animal. I mean, you're getting into payroll and payroll tax. You're getting into expenses that you didn't even know existed. And you're getting into an overhead that you don't even understand if you don't like numbers like me. Mm -hmm. So to also answer your question, I realize that I, I enjoy being a leader, but I I'm coming into it a little bit better. I'm finding my groove. It's terrifying at first, even for someone like me that considers herself an outgoing person who, who loves people. And I've realized I am good at sales. Um, I, I, I just love to teach these girls how to sell, what to say, what not to say. My husband's also had a big hand in that too. He's he's in sales. He's been in sales for 30 years. So he understands the the 
the the right things to say, you know, NLP, like certain words mm-hmm. that you want to use or also with him, uh, the way to have difficult conversations with your staff, you know, how to really, you know, if you're having a conversation about what someone's doing wrong, for instance, you never talk about what they're doing wrong. You say what you're expecting from them. Mm-hmm. So you almost focus on the positive of this is what I'm expecting a front desk uh, member of mine to do. So you're not almost making them. So it's little things like that. Mm-hmm. So I am coming into my own, but I will tell you something that I am not good at. And I realize is such a trigger for me. I hate looking at numbers. I hate looking at accounts. I hate looking at statements and balances. And like, I don't want to look at that. It it And I think also it's hard to look at while you have a business that's not profitable yet. It's terrifying. It's terrifying to look at those numbers, but you have to, or you have to hire a really good bookkeeper and accountant that you know and trust are doing right by you and, you know, working it out and Mm -hmm. organizing it the way it needs to be done and seen. And then, then also being lucky enough to have a husband that even though he's working, like, you know, he has several companies and he's working a full-time job. He's also looking at my numbers on the back end and he's saying, oh, we got to move this. We got to do that. Oh, there's just certain things. And I will say, I was lucky enough to find an incredible accountant who understands the spa industry. Mm -hmm. So I think I would also say to anyone listening, um, when you're going to open a business, make sure you have an accountant. If you're not the numbers person, like I'm not, you really have to surround yourself with the right people that understand the industry you're in and can help you. Mm -hmm. Because I, I mean, you're, if, when you're talking numbers and financial decisions and, and uh, percentages and taxes, you're talking to a three-year-old. Like I, I, I almost like baby <laughs> life. Like, I don't want to like, oh my God, I don't understand this. But you also get more confident. I am realizing I'm not, you know, a dumb blonde. Like I, I think I've always kind of self-deprecated myself as someone who didn't know a lot about those things and I wasn't smart enough. But you do realize you're smarter than you think you are. Sure. You know, and I, I will say this, you know, because this is a, you know, financial podcast financially, it's been very interesting, you know, in the beginning, my business consultant and I, the first Avenue we took to really get a loan for this project was to go through the small business, um, association. SBA. Uh, yeah. The SBA. And what we didn't know and which I would have <laughs> wished we would have known is that I started to pay out massive expenses um, in paying her and making a lot of large spa purchases before applying to that loan. So I actually got denied. I I mean, we have excellent credit, my husband and I, and I do run in my studio has become a very profitable business, but you know, I, I was denied an SBA loan because they looked at all these huge expenses that were already coming out compared to the year prior. And they denied me based on that. It was really interesting because we're, my husband was like, wait, she has like perfect credit. And like, you're seeing this business is like, this is a pro- we're not in the hole. They're like, yeah, but the expenses are so different from what we're seeing. So make sure that you're going to apply for a business. Your ducks are, ducks are you, you have not started the big expenses yet. <laughs> yeah. But, and then we pivoted and I, I, again, a huge shout out to my accountant for mentioning what saved this project he mentioned oh hey uh you could get a heloc mm-hmm. you know take your home equity, equity line and luckily we have been in our home for since 2015 and we had a really nice chunk of home equity line and that's what we did 
that's what financed us. So I will say, um, you know, if you've got good credit, you've got some equity in your house, you can open a business. <laughs> yeah. One of those things for business owners, it's you realize how important access to capital is. It's really kind of like the number one piece of being able to pivot into a new area or do what you want to do. Because while you might have a great idea, at the end of the day, if there's no way to get capital, and a lot of people just think, oh, I can apply to this bank, apply to this place, and I can get a loan. Not all the time. <laughs> and like I remember there was a a client who him and his wife were making, you know, de decent income and they couldn't even get a um a mortgage. And it's like I don't know how on the banking side how they underwrite some of these things, but it's like it's not always a guarantee that some of this stuff will occur. So you kind of have to make sure you have those reserves somewhere or in your situation seem to work out really well, but ready capital to deploy is kind of like the key or people who, you know, who can kind of assist in that area. But, um, you really can't do much sometimes in the growth space if you don't have that capital to do so. Yeah. And we actually did take out a PayPal loan that, uh, we took it out just for some like flush cash immediately. And I actually just paid that off. And that was huge. It was a $70,000 loan on top of the HELOC loan that we got that really was almost paralyzing because it was a, it was 70 grand and right off the bat, the interest or, or the fee for it, I think was 8,000 or 12,000. So you were paying that off immediately. And then those payments back to PayPal were $1,500 a week. So that was really, really hard. And I just finished that and that has opened up some, a little bit more room to breathe for me now, um, not having to pay that 1500, mm -hmm. but I, I feel so good to get the, some of these things paid off, but yeah, right. You know, yes, everything costs money and to open up a spa that people almost audibly gasp. Then they walk in that it's so beautiful when it's so obvious you haven't spared any expense on getting the best sheets and getting the newest equipment and getting the best beds, you know, even just an inch or even just three inches difference of a, of a, a, a massage bed or esthetician bed for the rooms, three inches difference to accommodate bigger people and make everyone feel more comfortable. The difference in price is like a thousand dollars. It's unbelievable. These little things that you learn and to make sure that you're buying the best, it all adds up for sure. Let's talk about some of the um, the system side of things. So you mentioned when you first started out, you know, you kind of have to jump easier, spicy, huh? <laughs> oh my god, I just got like peppered about. I, I got stops like my throat. Some of the process side of things, and like you realize, okay, you know, I was scheduling these on like an Excel sheet before, and now I need to kind of figure something out that's can help me in the long term as far as either sending out reminders for appointments and things like that. Um, so, what are the, some of the, the processes or the um, the software that you guys use to kind of assist in that area. Well, that was funny because it was another evolvement of software. I went from like this free software that was fine for the studio, but then to go to a bigger software with more capabilities mm -hmm. that costs money, like mm -hmm. hundreds of dollars a month. Mm -hmm. And then little add-ons, the little extras that the software did for you, like right. allowing images, people us to take images for before and afters or mm -hmm to be able to have 
the software, for instance, had a waitlist option. For years, I would have this personal waitlist that I would have saved in notes on my phone to call certain clients that wanted to come in if they couldn't get in. But then all of a sudden, this new fancy software has a waitlist option. Well, that's extra. Like right. to go from zero dollars to paying like $500 a month in this new software. And that's a whole nother thing too, is, is switching over all the data. Oh, oh yeah. that was, I will never do that again. And that's the <laughs> interesting thing that even if you're not that crazy about the new software, it turns out it's like a headache. You're not switching back. It's mm -hmm. such a daunting process. So you just kind of got to, got to go with it, but everything. Uh, then also the involvement of needing to market. I never had to spend a lot of money on advertising, if any. I spent, I had a social media person that did fun graphics for me that I would, you know, that she would post to my Instagram, but it really wasn't for more people or more clients because I was book solid. Mm -hmm. I almost felt bad when people bought a gift card for someone. It would be like, see you, luck. See you in a half year. <laughs> yeah. But, and then all of a sudden you, you've just built like three studios and you need to fill them. And you need to get these girls busy. You know, I hired a team that came with not a lot of, of a book. I know a lot of times in this industry, you can, as a business owner, only hire people that come with a book. And mm -hmm. I had found these wonderful people. You know, I went on Indeed, um, had great results on Indeed. And I also had some people reach out through friends that had heard I was opening this. Mm -hmm. So that happened, you know, uh, wonderfully in that I had this great staff, but all of a sudden you've got to fill these rooms. And I think it helped. Um, in the beginning, unfortunately, <clears throat> this project went on for so long that we opened at a sort of unfortunate time. It was right before Memorial Day weekend mm -hmm. when everybody went down to the shore, especially in Morristown. And I think that that was hard to all of a sudden have an entire town leave and there wasn't a lot of business. That first week, we did a friends and family week, though, where I, that actually was great. We had friends and family of the staff come in and get discounted facials so the girls could work out the kinks. Um, but I think it's also really important to, for me to have thought, okay, on a positive note, we're working out kinks here while we're slow. Mm -hmm. So the summer has been slow, but we're, and then realizing that you have to pay someone to do a lot of Google ads. You need to have an, you know, help with TikTok and Instagram. I consider myself a little on the older side to like want to do all these videos for myself. I've never <laughs> been into it. Yeah. Um, so uh, it, it's also realizing what these things cost for your marketing. Social media is amazing. Social media uh, can be the cheapest form of advertising where you are reaching so many people and paying nothing. Whereas 20 years ago, you would pay for a radio ad that would be thousands of dollars. But now social media really allows you to reach so many people, but there's also things that really do cost money. You want someone that's going to really get you up in Google that costs money. Mm -hmm. SOS marketing that or not SOS, SEI, SEO, it, um, I'm part of a float group in Medford Lakes called SOS, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, SEO marketing, that is a whole nother animal. And if you don't understand that world, you have to pay for it. And the right marketing team uh, that's going to come in and film video content for you and that's going to help get your girls and and even you like get you to be doing the things that you know you need to be doing but mm -hmm. you're not but yeah it's surrounding yourself with the right people and these people cost money and a lot yeah again it was add, adding adding some of that overhead but also realizing that this is also 
building some of that pad along the bottom. If we can get consistent growth on the client side, that'll help some of these overhead problems to kind of not be so big a problem. <laughs> you know what I mean? Um, let's talk about some of the, the products you guys have or really kind of what brought you into this world. It seems like you have, uh, you mentioned your specialized facial that you do, which seems to be the crown jewel of, of your experience. If, if I'm the signature facial. Signature facial. <laughs> so let's talk about some of the, the product offerings you do and you know what what some of your, your clients come in for and how you best serve them. Sure. So <clears throat> I I do believe that all of us, you know, don't have to come in for a facial once a month. But I think in this crazy world for a lot of us who are worried about aging and starting to see signs of aging or struggling with acne, because now we're seeing people at many stages of their lives struggle with acne, teenagers, women in their thirties and forties are some of my biggest clientele that still struggle with acne. So we, you know, we offer these customized facial treatments that are just on another level. I've been told they're religious experiences, but there is such, there's such a importance on taking care of yourself and taking that time out to get your best skin and learn about the right products to be using at home and, you know, we don't push products, but we really try to educate uh, our clients on what they should be using at home, what's really new out there. If, if we can't provide a fix on certain skin issues, we want to be able to tell you where to go and what's new in the industry. Um, we do incredible waxing, but uh, also I feel like I have built a very special kind of sacred space for a lot of people to come where they can really get refreshed and renewed because it is, I think the world's just getting crazier and crazier. And I think that, you know, in my industry, there's always been this kind of understanding that in America, women don't really take care of themselves like women in Europe, women in Europe. Uh, I think they just take care of their skin. They're famous for taking care of their skin like no other and making no apologies for it. Um, putting that do not disturb sign on their bathroom door and spending a half an hour on their skincare um, and getting their facials once a month. Whereas here in this country, I feel like in the States, uh, women become really martyrs in their family and they don't do things for themselves. You know, they'll raise their kids and I'll, I'll, I'll hear women who have never gone for a spa service for themselves. And they ra they've raised their kids and hardly ever wash their face at night. So it's almost like, it's so great to give people that amazing experience. Why do you think that is here? I think our work culture, and I think not we don't enjoy our lives i think like people in europe do and that's a very gross generalization but I, there's something about this culture it's all work 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 and comparing ourselves to others and um wanting to be i think also as a mom you know we want the the idea of the helicopter parent the mom that's so freaked out about her kids doing well in school or making sure little timmy is like doing well that person might be so focused on their children they're not realizing that they also have a life and they have needs yeah it's it's almost also like this the time that should be spent away from work in a leisure we just pollute with quasi forms of work so it's like okay i'm not working but instead let's go to Disney world. And it's like, yeah, I guess that's a vacation in some sense, but it's also, it's kind of work. You know what I mean? You're walking around all day. 
taking care of your, your, your children. Your, taking children. Not. You know what I mean? I don't think it's not a vacation for me either. <laughs> like, but I'm saying, like, I think the 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 definition around vacation or this idea of leisure has kind of been um convoluted into this. It's just a, a different form of work. And that's why people realize why 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 am I so burned out? It's because well, you have, when's the last time you took time just to really do nothing or go sit in a park for an hour and just just be you know what i mean and so i think that where your spa experience kind of lies is that cross intersection where hey i can get out of work and i can just be here i can have a drink i can kind of take this step back and just be as opposed to plugging into something else that's going to require my full attention i want to kind of be hands off for a second i think that hands off aspect is really what we're missing here. And I don't, I don't know um, other things. I'm sure it has to impact, but other pieces of wellness, whether that's fitness or lifestyle and how that stuff also plays into the skincare world. It, ha- it has to, you know, you talked about some of the, um, your mother being a flight attendant and just the hours that they were working was a huge detriment to their health and, and skincare long-term. Um so do you have any comment on like, you know, how lifestyle in general impacts skincare? Well, I do think that social media has been good and bad for us in terms of this industry. I think social media has helped a lot of women and men to understand the importance of skincare to get into masking. I think that viral Instagram, TikTok, where people are doing face masks, it's suddenly brought self-care to the forefront, which I think is great. But I think social media has also made our lifestyles very stressful. We're always comparing ourselves. I, I think one of the most important things is to turn the phone off. Mm-hmm. I, I 100% think that to really enjoy your life, you you have to, to put down the phone and go out for a walk and not try to be video, videoing moments and just living in those moments. But yeah, I think, I think our, I, I do feel like I am in an industry that, ha, that does, it keeps having so much potential to offer people uh, a respite and a, and a wonderful thing to look forward to, to feel renewed and to be your best self for your family and be the best mom you can be and be the best wife mm-hmm. and be the best friend you can be because you have, you value yourself enough to work this into. Yeah. So we're in the, we're in this spot now where you, you've had one location, you just expanded to a second location. What's, what's the future? What, what's your vision for uh, beauty by Biba going forward? Um, again, you know, maybe looking down the road a little bit, doesn't have to be a fully formed idea, but kind of what are some inklings that you have? It's funny because people joke about when I open my third location or th- that I'm building an empire. I'm like, I, I think I'm done. I am done. <laughs> this is this was insane. Um, but it certainly helped me grow. And I think it has made me a better person. When you go through a situation like this where you evolve and you have to deal with so many uncomfortable things and you have to be terrified, you have to be terrified like daily about all these little fires that you have to put out and it changes you, but that's life. You have to go through these really, really scary things Mm -hmm. in order to become, I guess, the person that you're supposed to be and to be able to handle the tough stuff. Mm -hmm. 
Mm-hmm. I don't, I, I, I guess I really didn't know what stress was before this. Yeah. And now I do, but I think it has made me better. And I think it also helps that sometimes you have to tell yourself that you had to do this. You had to do this. If I hadn't done this, I would be totally continuing to burn myself out in my one room. And this was the way that I could make my life. I could see that glimpse of being able to take more vacations and take my time out for my family and have this residual income. I mean, this is why I did this. You know, if something were ever to happen to me, I, I mean, I love skiing and I, I've often thought how irresponsible it is it was of me to do something like that in my life now that I have a business and I work with my hands and I need to be moving. And it's like, well, what if something happened to me? You have to take these risks sometimes in order to build yourself a nest egg or build something that can be viable for you. So you can finally enjoy your life and not work six days a week, like Mm -hmm. 9am to like 8pm every day. And, but the, here's the thing. I love what I do. So I do enjoy this and I Mm -hmm. still enjoy this, but you know, evolving and, and learning, you know, business is hard. Business is tough. And, and sometimes, you know, to my husband again has helped me so much in understanding you're not going to be profitable right away. You have to understand that sometimes this is all about just breaking even and staying afloat until you, that, that the word of mouth kicks in and you get those rooms filled. And then you have those clients that are, are your clients then for life. And you, you build that book. There is a system to this. There is a system in how you build a business. And yes, I grew more organically in the first phase of the studio, but in opening this, you do see that pattern. You see that, yes, you have to advertise more and yes, you have to spend that money and yes, you have to be patient. But now it's all about, you got to get out there and pass out flyers. Mm -hmm. You've got to find out all the events that you can be a part of. You've got to get yourself out there. I we're ready to get my kids out and knock door to door. Mm-hmm. And get them like learning yeah. sales at a young age. Like, boys, let's help mommy build her spa. We got to get clients in the door. Yeah. So sometimes you build these things and it <laughs> takes time and you're just like, yeah. oh my gosh. Yeah. It's um, I think that that line about, you know, sometimes you're in a position where you're breaking even and you just have to stay afloat. I don't think people realize how um, not even. I, I yeah. hope to break it. Like right yeah. now, you're losing. I don't think people realize how common that is, though. In 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 a, in a growth phase, sometimes you're like, I have to take a few on the chin just to kind of get to that 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 next level. And the, and the the idea of problems and struggle in business. I mean, even at the outset of this podcast with the initial trailer, I mean, I was talking about businesses in general. Businesses in general are there to solve problems. You're there to solve these problems in these people's lives of how to make them feel better or present better, and then while you're running this business, you also have all these internal problems. Some of the HR, payroll, client management, uh, employee management, hiring processes, all these other problems that come up. So you were working on these problems on the outside while trying to also solve all these problems on the inside. And it's like, I think the it, it, it's well noted to realize that the idea of struggle shouldn't be like looked upon as something to be um, exhausted. It's something that we should embrace even though it's difficult. I think a lot of people try to remove struggle from their lives. And to a certain extent, I, I get it. But for the most part, I think that's where um, 
a lot of people, business owners, especially when looking back, that's where some of the biggest growth in both themselves personally, and as well as their relationships, that's where it happens. Um, you kind of take these straw, you're almost put in like this, um, like under extreme pressure. And it just, it, you, you make these changes a lot quicker than someone else might because you're under the gun. And I think it really does. And you'll have, you'll have, you'll have really good times too. Where you're like looking back and like, wow, that was great. Um, I had a conversation with my wife the other day. We were talking about, um, or maybe it was my brother. We were talking about trips and vacations and so many vacations and things I look back on or even business building projects. The stuff I reflect on the most is the stuff that went wrong. <laughs> you know what I mean? That's the stuff that's memorable. The stuff that, oh, I got, I, I took this on the chin a few times. Uh, that's the story you tell, you know, around the table, you know, years later. It's not, oh, stuff was good for these three months and we, you know, doubled our revenue. It's like, well, you know, you, you talk about the bad stuff more than the good stuff. So I think there's some merit to that too. And uh, uh, speaking of vacation, uh, th there's part three with this that I, I you'll love to hear this. Uh, finally got away in August went back to LA. We had plans to go to Palm Springs and, and Vegas and drop the kids off in my hometown of Topanga. My have a little grandparent time. And I hadn't been away in like a year and a half. And it, I, I, it was kind of one of those things like Biba, you need to get away. And it's like, Oh my God, I, I shouldn't leave right now. And we can't afford this. And it's like, well, you know, I had already taken the time. Greg, I land in LAX and this was actually during the hurricane, which ended up just being rain in LA, mm. but we land and my marketing agency reaches out to me and, and asks me, uh, did you change your password for Instagram? Uh, I was hacked oh, man. and the hacker then, uh, flashed my, a picture of my driver's license. Oh my gosh. And so I'm on the floor of baggage claim crying trying to figure this out and you know the kids are like and we and, and it's raining so my stepmom's saying oh you got to get up they're going to close the roads I, I feel like my world is is ending like my instagram i worked so hard for these followers and you know let's be real i didn't have like a million followers but i worked hard for the you know a couple thousand followers i had so you know, my first vacation that i take like just recently you know instagram was hacked and then you find out that Instagram is not helpful at all and there's no customer service. So when, when you get hacked, you, you lose it, you know, you're not, you're not getting it back. So it was days of just trying to get it back and wasting time and, and then trying to enjoy this vacation. But meanwhile, you just no. feel like your, your life's ending, but, and then a couple of days later, my Venmo was hacked. Oh my God. You know, and then you're, then you're just like, uh, uh, just kill me. I, I don't, oh my God. And then, and then I, I come back and, you know, tried my best to enjoy the vacation, but I was just a ball of stress. It was a very slow week at the spa too. So just, just so many emotions. You come back. I have a friend who's um, in cyber. She went to school for cybersecurity. So mm -hmm. she was going to help me really lock shit down. Like get all your passwords cannot be one yeah, password. Right. And, you know, unfortunately when all of that, um, unfortunate things happened where I was kind of exposed with a lot of financial information with someone, I, I, I hadn't, 
I had changed passwords on that end, but I still had a lot of the regular passwords I always had. And so you're trying to lock this all down and definitely a shout out to LastPass. Very nice. Hmm. Computer generates all your passwords. Like, unfortunately, I hadn't been two-factor authenticated for Instagram. So I will tell anyone listening, it's a scary world out there. You just heard about MGM and Caesars getting hacked. This is like, it's crazy. I like, and I, you have to protect yourself. Like have your passwords all saved, have two factor for all your social media sites, like everything. But the funny thing is I'm back and we're going through all these accounts that I have to change password. I mean, it's just daunting. Mm-hmm. And I see this one account that I have acorns. Mm, yeah. Acorns. Gr- great great little thing. I mean, my husband has, I think 16 grand in it. He opened it in 2015. It's an account where it connects to your bank. It just rounds up, right? It rounds up the charges to a money market account. And, you know, I had, I think I opened mine much later than Sean's. I think I have like 3000 in mine, but I remember seeing that and going, eh, that's whatever. No, let's go to the more important stuff. And and my friend was like, Biba, is it financial? Then yes, we are changing it. It turns out that four days before my Instagram was hacked. Um, so well, let me back up. We try to log into Acorns and it didn't accept any of my login information. Four days, pr- we found out from calling customer service, uh, four days prior to my Instagram hacked, someone had tried to hack into my Acorns and create like, their own checking account, I guess, and try to take that money out. Now, Acorn stopped it, but here I am like in the midst of just getting attacked and and getting hacked on like several different accounts. And you're wondering like, what is happening? Is this multiple people? This one, like what is happening? So that it's actually been uh, the last month of what I've been dealing My with. Gosh. So yeah, you're just at this point, you're just laughing. Like what else I know <laughs> I to the dead. point where, yeah, you're always constantly thinking it's like, what is going to happen next? You know what I mean? Like you're trying to just be there, but at the same time, you're also like, what else can I prepare for? <laughs> That's kind of coming, coming down the line. Uh, um, well, thank you so much for coming on. We, at the end here, we have a, a quick question round where we kind of just run through, you know, a bunch of uh, quick questions and just get your take on those. Okay. Sure. Uh, so people, what's, what's the coolest thing that you've seen lately? could be anything. It could be in skincare. It could be just a um, movie. It could be anything, but what's the coolest thing you've Ooh, seen? That's a really good question. I would have to say Vegas. Just being in Vegas recently, the shows, we saw the awakening at the wind. I, 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 I still don't even have words for this. Hmm. There are experiences now in the world we live in, these immersive psychedelic experiences where I, you, it's just unbelievable. I mean, this, I think it's called the stratosphere or the dome in Vegas Oh, now. yeah, the dome, yeah. Oh, my God. Like oh, You saw something there? Oh, my, we didn't. But oh. I've been seeing now we want to go, my husband wants to go back and see a show. Like, oh, my God. Like, we are in this world where we, there are experiences like this. Mm-hmm. And then to also dine in Vegas. I mean, you're just, it's the best of the best. You're dining in these restaurants that just to sit in it is an experience. Mm. So I, you have to have also gratitude for these incredible things that you do come across in, in this world today. They're inspiring. Yeah, I, I heard somewhere, I don't know if this is true or not, but apparently um, the same part of your brain that's responsible for like anxiety is also the, the part that you use for gratitude. And apparently the two can't happen simultaneously. So that's another reason just to kind of be very mindful in the gratitude space. I love that. Um, I don't, again, I don't know if it's true, but it's, it sounds good enough to at least yeah. go with it. <laughs> totally. Um, gratitude. Huge. Um, what tools um, are great that you couldn't live without? 
tools, like, like um, a physical, it could be like a, you know, a, um, a software tool you use in business. It could be like a, um, you know, a, a tool that you use, um, day to day with like your, your clients, but, um, Oh, good question. A tool I couldn't live without. I think uh, the ability to write notes about my clients, I feel like my memory is going. Uh, and a, a new level of customer service is to really get very personal with the notes, even the smallest detail. Uh, a client's going away uh, that weekend for their anniversary. I want to remember that because I want to ask them how that weekend was. Mm -hmm. So the ability to have a spot in my software to write notes and have all that personal information, I think that's really important. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, I think that's so true. I think people are looking more for that and they'll kind of be kind of gravitate towards those experience where they feel like I'm being taken care of or at least on another level. You know what I mean? That's it. Um, what are the most transformational changes you're seeking to make in the next 90 days? This could be either personal or or business oriented. Changes, um, changes I'm looking to make. Uh, I would say just continuing to stay calm and under understanding that things are going to get better. Like not that things are going to get better because we are seeing like a huge change in our bookings and the word is getting out and we're building. Mm -hmm. I want to continue to. Um, stay positive and keep impressing myself with how much better I'm getting mm. at negative things that pop up and all the, the, the to-do list that never ends right. really winning the, the winning the game of taking everything in stride day to day and knowing that the to-do list you'll get to it. Mm -hmm. It's never going to end. So just, Take it as it comes. Yeah, I like that a lot. Um, what, what advice would you give to uh, an entrepreneur or anybody else who's looking to start a business and some of the biggest lessons that you've learned? You never have to lose sight on why you started this business in the first place. Mm. Make sure you're really ready. Make sure you have the right people around you to really help you. And every single thing that you can think of that could go wrong, make sure to have a plan mm. because Murphy's law, it, it almost becomes comical how many things come, uh, come in your path to teach you, to challenge you. Everything that can go wrong usually will go wrong. And you have to have the, the kind of that, that uh that chess game plan that avenue and make sure you have the right support because it can get really lonely when you if if i weren't able to have the people around me that were able to give me the wisdom and i i don't i i couldn't do this on my own mm -hmm. i sometimes think about the people that don't have the support um that i have not only financially but also emotionally mm -hmm. you know but, and again, I'm not a millionaire and my husband is certainly not a millionaire either, but you've, you've got to have those reserves and you have to know that everything that you think what it's going to cost, it's usually going to cost more. <laughs> yeah. You, you also have to have like a sense of humor about some of this stuff. Like I've gotten emails before where it's like in the back of my head, I'm like, oh man, this could go this direction. Like I'm hoping it won't maybe a few percentage chance it will, but I'm really hoping it doesn't. 
sure enough, it happens. And I'm like, my gosh. And sometimes you, you just have to see, you can get frustrated, but sometimes you just sit back and you're just like, you kind of just smile a little bit. <laughs> I like, I kind of had a weird inkling that this might have happened, but, um, that's what'll save you the, the humor, <laughs> the humor of life, yeah. the, the, the ridiculousness of life. The fact that we're even here yeah. talking. <laughs> yeah exactly you have to make sure things get into perspective for you like I, th- I think that's one thing too is just to sometimes you have to be a little less stiff about things and be okay with getting tossed around a little because honestly that's it's just more enjoyable that way and you don't get banged mm-hmm. up as much you know what i mean if you're in a car accident and you're kind of like limp you're not going to get all you know janky but you know if you're trying to resist everything that's where it becomes a little problematic go with the flow man um go with the flow so besides bloody mary's what, what's your favorite beverage oh besides bloody besides mary's, bloody mary's it, it you know what's interesting is where you're at really can trigger this need for a certain beverage like when i go to braddock's or i go to a really nice Ooh, yeah. house or like a nice you know, old Tommy place, I will a hundred percent have to have a dirty martini mm. with blue. It has to have blue cheese stuffed olives though. Whoa. And, and I do like gin and vodka. So I, it could be either or, but it's gotta be the dirty with the blue. So cheese. you're, you're striking me as like a savory person. Sure. Right. You know what I mean? I'm on both fronts. I mean, Oh, but I do have a signature cocktail caught that I call the Biba. Really? It's called the Biba. Cause it is my drink which I guess I should have brought that today, but this seemed more appropriate at like an earlier time. But I have um, a cocktail called the Biba and it's a spicy margarita. Wow. And I saw it on a menu, actually the exact same. I had already had the Biba, but then I saw it on a menu at Dukes in Malibu when I was uh, vacationing back at home recently. So I got even more excited that I have this Biba. It's called the Fire and Ice on that menu. Uh, Throw a jalapeno into a bottle of tequila, mm. like the whole thing. And if you have to cut it to get it through the bottle, that's fine. Seeds and all, just get it in there. 24 hours later, you have your own jalapeno tequila. You do two parts that, one part triple sec, and the juice of two limes. Whoa. Fresh, beautiful, simple. Topped with anything, like a um, sparkling water or anything or no? Wow, look at that. salt, if you wish. Okay. Nice. Strain it out. Yeah. Another savory drink. <laughs> you know, you, these drinks are like full meals sometimes. <laughs> um, very cool. Well, B, but thank you so much for coming on. I really appreciate it. Really enjoyed the conversation. Um, I hope it was worth the wait, Greg. Oh, 100% it was. Let, let the people know if there's any final thoughts that you have or there's anything you want to plug. Um, the next few minutes are, are yours. Oh, thank you. Well, everybody, I have created two, what I think are two very unique facial and waxing studios in Medford, New Jersey and Morristown, New Jersey. And not to be confused with Morristown, two yes, hours north, yes, yes, definitely Morristown, north. Yeah. about 25 minutes away. But I've created these two facial places that uh, basically our tagline is facials and waxing like you've never experienced. Um, you come in and you get these treatments and it's almost a religious experience, but let us clean out your pores and get you glowing to face all that life hands it hands you. It's perfect. <laughs> I love it. Well, thank you again so much for coming on. 
Thank you. It was fun. Thanks so much for listening to the show this week. If you are not yet a subscriber, please go and hit that subscribe button wherever you get your podcasts, Apple, Spotify, and all major platforms. And you will get notifications whenever new episodes are posted. If you want to write to us or have a business that may be a good fit for the show, feel free to reach out. Our email address is leverageandbeverage at gmail.com. And our Instagram is at leverageandbeverage. I'm Greg Sobosinski. And as always, keep pushing forward one sip at a time. Thank you.